Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our annual summer series at the movies, where we explore the spiritual truth behind some of Hollywood's biggest hits. From Hamilton to Just Mercy to Ford versus Ferrari, this series has a screening movie clips while we laugh and learn together. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. What's up, y'all? Pastor Nathan here. Welcome to Liquid Church and our summer series at the movies. Guys, I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite series that we do here every single year. I love movies and the spiritual truths that they can teach us. In fact, the scriptures teach us that all truth is God's truth. And so when we watch a film and there's something in there that resonates with you, that connects with your spirit, it's because God is speaking to you through that film. And I'm really excited to share it with you this weekend from one of my favorite movies of the year, Knives Out. Type in the words, seen it, if you've seen the movie Knives Out yet. You know, I remember I was telling some friends that uh, I was going to be exploring the spiritual truths uh, behind the movie Knives Out, and they looked at me like I was, you know, crazy. They're like, Nathan, what did you see in that movie that could teach you anything about God? It's a movie about murder and mayhem. And there's something there that taught you about scripture? And listen, I totally get that if, if that's your perspective. But after today, my prayer is that you start to see God differently because you've watched the movie Knives Out from the lens of faith. And listen, I know that some of you may be wondering, you know, will I miss something if I don't see the movie before the sermon? In fact, I want to tell you, you won't. I hope this actually makes you want to see the movie, um, but I want to let you know that this isn't exactly a family film, even though it is PG-13. It's got a lot of cuss words in it. Now, I'm just going to tell you straight up, there's also going to be some spoilers, but I think they may make you want to watch the movie anyway. But let me give you a taste of the movie by showing you the trailer of the movie Knives Out. Check this out. I'm Detective Lieutenant Elliot, and this is Trooper Wagner. We just want to ask a few questions. We understand the night of his demise, the family have gathered to celebrate your father's 85th birthday. How was it, by the way? The party, pre-my dad's death. Oh, it was great. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to request that you all stay until the investigation is completed. What? Can we ask why? Has something changed? No. No, it hasn't changed, or no, we can't ask. I'm gonna live till I die. You think one of his family walls walls killed? Is that what you're suggesting? You all love twisting the knife into one another. Gonna fly. I'm taking Something. Spill it. I suspect foul play. And I have eliminated no suspects. <laughs> I'm gonna live, 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 until I... It's a twisted web. We are not finished untangling it, not yet. What is this? CSI KFC? Huh. 
That movie is a lot of fun, and if you love a good murder mystery whodunit comedy, then this movie is for you. Go ahead and type amen in the chat if you love mystery movies. I'll be honest, when Knives Out first came out, it wasn't really on my radar. My wife Jackie, who also loved these movies, told me about it. We watched together, and instantly, we loved it. Knives Out is actually a movie that was written and directed by Ryan Johnson, who also directed The Last Jedi, but it's about a master detective named Benoit Blanc who's investigating the death in the Thromby family of the Patriarch after a family gathering goes terribly wrong. And this film has grossed over $300 million, it was nominated for three Golden Globes, and it's also got an all-star cast. The movie is about how the wealthy crime novelist Harlan Thromby, played by Christopher Plummer, is found dead with his throat slit. The police rule it a death a suicide, but then an anonymous caller tips off the legendary private eye named Benoit Blanc. Now, Benoit Blanc, he's kind of like a southern Sherlock Holmes, played by the legendary Daniel Craig. And as Blanc begins to know the family, he finds out that the family actually puts the fun in dysfunction. There is infighting, bickering, deceit, backstabbing. He finds out that the center of the family's conflict is actually around Harlan's will. Harlan Thromby is worth millions of dollars, which he's earned from writing all of his books, his publishing company, and even the house he owns. And his family all want their share of it. We find out that Harlan has been indulging and enabling his kids and grandkids, supplying all of their needs, all of their wants, and they still want more of them. They're taking advantage of him. And they've become entitled, and they all feel like they deserve his fortune. In fact, in this next clip, we start to see the true nature of the dysfunction of the family. In fact, all the family starts to air their dirty laundry right before the reading of Harlan's will. Check this next scene out. Hey, Franny, how about a glass of cold milk? Hey, not her name, not her job. Hey, Meg, how's the SJW degree coming? All right, guys. Funny, Ransom, you skipped the funeral, but you're early for the will reading. Okay, people grieve in different ways. Let's not... You know what? It's funny you're here at all. Why are you even bothering? That's what I'm asking myself. Your son's a little creep. Oh, my son's a creep. Guys, uh -huh. just... Oh, you know what, Richard? You want to go? You bet, Skippy. Let's go. You want to go? Come on, oh, man. No, no, watch out, man. Stop! 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 Come on, I've been waiting for you my whole life! Stop it! I can handle myself! Oh my God! <laughs> I gotta do this more often. Some of you are thinking, Pastor Nathan, how did you get a camera at our last Thanksgiving gathering? <laughs> well, this is the Thrombies. You can tell that they don't have any respect for one another. They're arguing, insulting one another's kids. They're fighting. In fact, you heard Walt confront Ransom, played by Christopher Evans, also known as Captain America, because he skipped the funeral, but he came early for the will reading. And what this really reveals to us is this family really loves more of what they can get out of Harlan rather than the relationship they had with him. I think for the most part, we all understand what an inheritance is. An inheritance is something gained as a result of someone else's death. Often family members pass down an inheritance to their children, and it can be money, property, or, or even heirlooms. In fact, my kids are going to get my uh, rock and roll t-shirt collection when I die. But did you know that as a child of God, we also have a spiritual inheritance that's passed down to us? It's not money, it's not property, it's not heirlooms. It's actually way better than that. See, God's inheritance to us flows from being in a relationship with him. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 1. He writes, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. Go ahead and type the word inheritance in the chat right now. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his, what's this word, church? His plan. 
You know, we usually get our inheritance from a close family member who we've had a relationship with. Uh, they choose you to receive their earthly wealth to make your life better if it's used wisely. And God is doing the same thing with us. He chooses to give us those he loves, his inheritance. So when you come into a relationship with Jesus, you receive eternal life. And if all God gave us was eternal life, that'd be enough, right? Like, this is great, God, but he doesn't stop there. Look what else Paul says. Paul says this, he says, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his what, church? His own, by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the, what's this again, church? Inheritance, he promised, and that he has purchased us to be his own people. See, Paul is saying that you belong to God because he made you. And he demonstrated that by giving you his Holy Spirit as the down payment of your eternal home. And now you're also part of God's family. God becomes your daddy, your heavenly father who loves you, cares about you. He's got a plan for your life. And you have spiritual brothers and sisters that can pray for you, encourage you, hold you up when you feel torn down or broken. See, we receive all of this from what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus died on the cross, taking our sins upon himself so that we could be forgiven of all of the mistakes and failures and be put into a right relationship with God. And not only that, we learn that God has broken down anything that divides us from one another, making us one family in Jesus, not biological blood, but by the blood of Christ, a family that is united around the love of our Father. And because of his love for us, we are able to love one another. Type amen in the chat if you're with me on that. You see, God's family is different from the Thromby family if you haven't been able to figure that out already. See, the Thrombies saw Harlan as a slot machine, an ATM. He funded their failed businesses. He paid their college tuition, provided allowances for them so they didn't have to work. And, and as a result, they looked at Harlan more for what they could get out of him than out of love for him, out of a relationship. But there was one person who thought very differently about Harlan, and it was Marta Cabrera. Uh, this is actually Harlan's nurse, but she became more like family for him. While the rest of the family looked down on her because of her immigrant status, Harlan and her actually became quite close friends. And Marta, unlike the Thrombies, had developed a deep friendship and love for Harlan. They spent time together. They played games together. Uh, they really got to know one another well. So while the family is fighting for the inheritance, Marta is grieving the loss of her friend. And when the family gathers to hear their dad's will read, each of them thinks that they're going to get everything and everyone else is going to inherit nothing. But you know, it turns out like a good mystery novel, Harlan's got a couple more plot twists and turns that no one saw coming. Check this out. Uh, Harlan's assets included... Um, the house. The house, which he owned up, right? Um, 60 million. Yes, 60 million in various cash accounts and investments. And of course, the real asset, sole ownership of Blood Like Wine his publishing company. He also wrote up a statement when he was making the changes and he wanted that read first. Dearest Linda, Walter, and Joni, some of you may be surprised by the choice I've made here. No pleasure was taken in the exclusion and its purpose was not to sow greater discord in the family, quite the opposite. Please accept it with grace and without bitterness, but do accept it, it's for the best, Dad. Um, wow, well, yeah, not too complex at all. Uh, this will be quick. <laughs> I, Harlan Thromby, being of sound mind and body and yada, 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 
I hereby direct that all my assets, both liquid and otherwise, I leave in their entirety to Marta Cabrera. My entire ownership of Blood Like Wine Publishing, I leave in its entirety to Marta Cabrera. The copyright of its catalog, likewise, I leave in its entirety to Marta Cabrera. Uh, no, that's not, no. that's, no, that can't be, no. can I see that please, Alan? Yeah, that's right. Please. This can't be legal. It's right. He's, you know, he's been, oh my he's been, he's been, aren't you saying that? It was a mistake. I don't know what to say. We're his family, so. It's not possible. There's safeguards against this. Right. Fine. Something. I think he's a You know, Alan, listen. Wow. No one saw that coming. Harlan ends up leaving $60 million, his publishing company, and his house to Marta, the hired help, and leaves his family with nothing. The inheritance went to the person that Harlan chose to give it to. Some of them felt frustrated because they thought they had done so much to get Harlan's favor, but in the end, he gave it to the person that he loved, not for those who felt entitled to it. Guys, can I make a confession to you? I have to admit that sometimes I treat God like the, the Thrombies treated Harlan. I think about what I can get from him rather than simply being with him as his friend. And if you ever wonder if you've fallen into that trap, listen to how you pray. Are your prayers more about what you want or what God wants? When you spend time with God, do you mostly just talk or are you listening? You know, I sometimes treat God like he's a cosmic slot machine, that if I pray the right way or do the right things, he'll give me what I want when I want it. Anyone relate to that? You know, guys, our inheritance is something that God gives us, but it's also something that shapes us into who we're becoming. And often, our inheritance in Christ doesn't always come about the way we expect. So today, I want to look at three aspects of God's inheritance for us. The first is this, is our inheritance is his blessing. Now, I know some of you are thinking, Pastor Nathan, does this mean that God is going to bless me with a new car, a perfect life, without flaws and failings? God's, but you know what? God's blessings aren't always material, nor do they always have to be about prosperity or the perfect life. Listen to how Paul breaks down what God's blessings for us in Ephesians, where it says this. It says, All praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly, place, in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Guys, I love this verse. See, we've been given the blessing of the character of Christ. God has chosen you to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Holy means that when God sees you, he sees you becoming like himself. That means that when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin, he doesn't see your mistakes, your, your faults, or your failures. He actually sees Christ when he looks at you. See, when Jesus died for your sins, an exchange happens. You get Christ's perfection, and he takes on your sin. And so that when God sees you, you're actually covered by the perfection of Christ. So when God sees you, he sees Christ all over you, not your mistakes, not your flaws, and not your failures. You know, when you come to Christ for forgiveness, he no longer sees your affair but he sees you as forgiven and cleansed. When you belong to Jesus, he no longer sees your addiction or, or sees you as an addict, but you're a treasured possession to him. And maybe you choose to run away from God and have nothing to do with God, but he still sees you as a treasured son and a beloved daughter who's always welcomed home with open arms. How many of you right now need a reminder that your sins and your guilt 
have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. Go ahead and type amen in the chat if you need that reminder. But that's not all. Our inheritance doesn't just mean that we're chosen and blessed to be saved one day in the future, but God actually has a plan and a purpose for your life. If we continue to look at Ephesians 1.11, it says this. It says, he makes everything work out according to my plan. Wait, is that what it says? No, no, it says according to his plan. You see, guys, part of God's inheritance for us is that he knows what's best for us. He has a plan for our lives. Now, pause for a second. When I used to read this verse, I used to read this as saying, God's got a plan to bless my life. God's going to bless my plan for my life. But that's not what it says because often my plan is I want my life to be happy, comfortable. I want things to go the way I want. I want everyone in my life to be happy and comfortable too. And then I get upset when God brings hard things in my life or their life and things don't happen the way I want them to when I want them to. And I end up being mad, about, mad at God for that. But that's not what it says. It says that God makes things work according to his plan. His plan, not my plan. And sometimes God's plan allows us to enter into difficult and painful situations that are often for our own good because he just understands things better. In fact, that's what Harlan realized as a dad. You know, in Harlan's will reading, he wrote to his family these words, please accept it. It's for the best. Because even though Harlan knew that being cut out of the will would be painful, it would be the best thing for his kids in the long run. In fact, on the day of Harlan's birthday party, he realizes that his constant indulgence of his family has enabled them to live miserable, selfish, broken lives. And in these next few clips, we're actually going to see Harlan start to finally cut them out of the will and share some tough love. Check this out. Walt. Dad, Dad, you... You put me in charge of our books. Let me be in charge. Let me do this, please. They're not our books, son. They're my books. And this is not how I wanted to have this conversation. But you're right. You're right. It's, it's unfair of me to keep you tethered to something that isn't yours to control. What? No, I've done you a grave disservice all these years. I have kept you from building something of your own that was yours. But you're not going to be running the, the publishing house anymore. You're free of it. Oh. Dad, are you firing me? No. <laughs> we'll talk details tomorrow. My mind's made up. Good boy. Yeah, the school hasn't got the check yet. I don't know why Alan didn't mail it. Well, Alan didn't mail it because he caught a discrepancy. Alan's office has been wiring tuition directly to the school, as per your request. But Phyllis's office that handles your yearly allowance has been wiring tuition monies directly to you as well. You have been double-dipping Meg's tuition and stealing from me $100,000 a year for the past four years. Harlan, I don't know how this mix-up happened, but... So I, now I am writing I swear this to God. tuition check, but you must know that this is the last money you or Meg will get from me. Please, you don't understand. Joni, I know it'll hurt, but it's all for the best. My mind's made up. You can't be serious! Not a red dime or word of my work to a single one of them. You include. You can't be that crazy. You're not just gonna throw away your fortune. No, I'm giving it to Marta. All of it. 
Your Brazilian nurse. Are you insane? I'm sane for the first time in my life. Harlan, if you and think I've I'm going to let this happen, if you think I've I'm going to stand here and I've made the change to my will. It's done. How do you think the family felt after getting cut off? Seems harsh, right? Imagine that your dad, who was taking care of you and took care of everything, all of a sudden cut you off. It stopped. Now you're on your own. Now you've got to figure out how to get a job and how to pay your bills and how to survive. And Harley realized that that was the best thing he could do for his kids. You see, one of the things that he realized and actually reveals to Marta is that there was really an ulterior motive for why he left his kids the way they did. Check this out. I cut the line on all four of them. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't easy. You know, sometimes I think that everything I've given my family, I've done maybe uh, without knowing or, or maybe to keep them beneath me. And I certainly should have, I don't know, encouraged Walt to write his own stories, not just be a caretaker of mine, like you said I should. And then be a father, not just a provider for Joni, like you also said. And then I could have been kinder to Linda and Ransom. And, Jesus, Ransom. <laughs> oh, there's so much of me in that kid. Uh, confident, stupid, I don't know, protected, playing life like a game without consequence. <laughs> Until you can't tell the difference between a stage prop and a real knife. Did you catch that? Harlan said he realized that all he did was to keep his family beneath him, to control them. I gotta ask, is that what you think God is like? I often hear people tell me all the time that they think God is a control freak, that God just wants to do whatever he wants, no matter what. But guys, that is not the heart of our Heavenly Father because this really shows God's heart for us and his inheritance to us. You see, our inheritance is his discipline. Good parents discipline their kids. Now, I know some of you might have a hard time with that word discipline. Maybe it brings up uh, memories as a kid where, where maybe you were spanked or you're yelled at and, you know, because you got out of line or maybe you just annoyed your parents. But that's not what the Bible means by discipline. In fact, when you think of discipline, I want you to think of an elite athlete, one who's willing to wake up at 4 a.m. every single morning to work out. They're vigilant about what they eat. They get plenty of rest. They're always thinking about how they can train harder to get the competitive edge. They're preparing for the game. We would say they have discipline. And discipline trains us so that we'll do what's right when the time comes because we've been practiced and prepared to play well. I love how Hebrews 12, 11 puts it when it says this, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is fun and exciting. No, it's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are, what's this word, church? Trained in this way. Guys, this means that good parents aren't afraid of letting their kids experience pain or frustration if it's going to lead to a well-lived life, to a lesson that's learned. It's going to make things better for them. In the same way, your Heavenly Father is going to allow you to struggle, allow you to fail, even allow you to make mistakes because He knows that through those times, you'll experience growth and learn to trust God and lean into Him even when things are hard. Guys, can I be honest right now? I feel like 2020 has been one of the hardest years I've ever experienced. I mean, think about it. This year, we've experienced a global pandemic. The country has been shut down. The economy is suffering, racial unrest. We had a hurricane. We lost power. There's fires in California, not to mention our own kind of struggles that are happening in life. 
And it's just been a tough year. In fact, one of you posted this on Facebook, a picture of this t-shirt here. 2020, one star rating, very bad, would not recommend. And guys, I saw this and I'm like, yes, that is my t-shirt. And guys, this past week, I really felt this, right? I, I felt like I was just done. I woke up and I'm like, God, I'm done. I am done with 2020. If you are done with 2020, go ahead and type that in the chat right now. Write the words done. And, you know, I, I just felt done. I felt just tired, exhausted. I didn't have the emotional energy to keep going. And when that was going on, I just felt like I needed to spend some time with God. And so whenever I feel these moments of just exhaustion or I'm just struggling, I like to pull out my journal. And um, I wrote down these words in my journal. I wrote, Lord, I feel so tired and exhausted. Spiritually and emotionally, I feel sick of quarantine. I'm sick of being at home all the time and wearing a mask and I'm getting short with my kids and all the uncertainties wearing on me. I just want to run away from everything. Where is the abundant life that you promised, God? Where is the blessing in this? And then I shut my journal and I just waited because I was like, all right, Lord, what do you want to say to me? And in the silence, and in my frustration, and in my anxiety, I felt that God was saying to me, I want you to surrender your control. Because the truth is, guys, the reason why I was frustrated, because I wasn't in control. I'm not sure if I'll ever be in control again. I can't control when the schools are going to open or when our state's going to reopen. But I realized that what was happening was God's discipline in my life. God was actually training me so that I can be more resilient in times of hardship. And so that I can actually look to God for strength and look to him for help. If you guys are experiencing that too, go ahead and type the word resilience in the chat because I really believe right now more than ever, God is raising up his church to be resilient, amen? And I gotta ask guys, honestly, where are you experiencing the discipline of God right now? Where is he training you? What is God removing and taking away so that he can make room for his character to develop in your life today? Go ahead, type that in the chat right now. Share that with those that are watching. What is that area of your biggest frustration, your biggest pain point? How might God be getting the knives out to sharpen your life, to discipline, to train and equip you, to make you more resilient so that you have greater trust, greater faith in him? These are all the things that are part of our inheritance, which brings us to the third aspect I want to talk about today. Our inheritance is Jesus. I know sometimes it's a Sunday school answer, but this really is what it's all about. We get to spend time in the presence of Christ to experience his love and transformation. The one who created heaven and earth has given us life and new life in him. See, for followers of Jesus, our ultimate prize isn't what Jesus does for us, but rather it's him. And when I think about this, I think about my wife, Jackie. I've been married to my wife, Jackie, for about 11 years. And uh, when we first started dating, we would do all these different things together. We would go to these awesome museums together, road trips, amusement parks. I would take her to the best restaurants where I would tell her, you could order whatever you wanted off the dollar menu. And we went on these awe-inspiring road trips. And you know, as, fun as, those, as fun as those events were, because they were fun, it didn't matter as long as I got to do them with Jackie. If we never went on any of those dates, if we never had done anything and just maybe sat on a park bench, that would have been enough. Because no matter what gifts she could have given me or whatever she would have done, I just wanted to be with her more than I wanted anything from her. And it's the same way with our relationship with Jesus. Guys, I wish that Jesus would make this pandemic go away. 
I wish that Jesus would just fix racism like that, fix the divisions in our country like that. And I know he's at work in all of it. And I'm seeing glimmers of hope all around. But I, ha I can have hope because I know and trust that Jesus is good, even the world, the, world, the world is not. And as long as I can be with him, I know that he's making all things right. Because that's my inheritance in Christ. I love how the writer and theologian N.T. Wright puts it. He says this, he says, God intends to flood the whole cosmos, heaven and earth together, with his presence and grace. And when that happens, the new world that results, in which Jesus himself will be the central figure, is to be the inheritance for which Jesus' people are longing. Can I ask, do you long for Jesus more than anyone or anything else in this world? Do you long for Christ as your inheritance to be revealed to you today? Or maybe you're watching this right now and you've never experienced God's inheritance to you in Christ. And maybe today's the day that you received your inheritance. Jesus died so you could have an inheritance, eternal life, part of God's family, so that you could experience his blessing, his discipline, and of course, Jesus himself. In the chat, there's going to be a little banner that's going to come up. It's going to ask if you accept Christ and you can press on that button. And it's going to have a hand go up. And there's a form that you can fill out that we can help you take your next steps so that you can continue your journey with Jesus. But first, would you pray with me so that you can begin a relationship with Christ and receive your divine inheritance? Wherever you're watching, go ahead and pray this prayer with me out loud. Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of your mercy. Would you forgive my sins? Would you bless me with eternal life? Would you bless me as being part of your family so that I can be a part of your plan? Would you heal me, God, and prepare me for your plans? I ask all this in the mighty and awesome name of Jesus. Amen. Well, listen, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. We will see you next week as we talk about just mercy. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening.